Adrian becomes a celebrity in Chicago after an appearance on a cable news channel goes viral. He uses his newfound fame in the courtroom to the chagrin of a judge who hates lawyers. Meanwhile, Luca is perusing a case in court with the pressure of her impending baby on her mind. Can she get ahead in the law firm now the partners know she's pregnant? And how can she reconcile the annoyance she has with Colin against his dreamy blue eyes? We had sex. We both regretted it. I didn't. Okay. That's your problem. Gather your legal briefs and get ready for a punch-up. This is The Good Fight, SBS fan podcast. It's our weekly discussion about the TV drama The Good Fight. It's our deeper dive into the show, where we have an exploration of the real-world stories that do influence the TV show The Good Fight. My name is Dan Barris. I'm an editor here at SBS. I work on a TV site here called The Guide. Joining me each and every week is SBS Life Deputy Editor and my good buddy, Sarah Malik. Sarah B. Malik at your service. Yeah, at Sarah B. Malik on Twitter. At Sarah B. Malik, the yeah. bee, the mysterious bee. Yeah, what could it mean? <laughs> that will be the, the aim of this podcast to find out, right? Yeah, I mean, I think we've told people what it means about three times now on the podcast, <laughs> but here we go. It seems to be a point of discussion, so I, I like to play with that. So we have an episode of The Good Fight here. It's day 457 of the Trump presidency as this show takes place. Oh, wow. Well, we know this because the episode titles are the days into the Trump presidency. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, I should have mentioned that by this point. You're good with details like that. Yeah, so the episode's called Day 457. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, This is an episode written by Jacqueline Reingold. I don't know who that is. No, she's a TV writer. But she seems pretty legit. She's been around for a bit. I like this episode. I like this episode too. It's a good one. Yeah. This has been a really stable year for the show. Like just consistently week on week, it's Mm. actually really just hitting pretty much every note. I'm really glad they just wrapped up the Maya storyline. I just feel really relieved by that. I feel like it's just much more interesting now. Like I kind of got sick of being so invested in her whole family drama and they just neatly tied that up. And we're just moving along swiftly. Sometimes shows, they just really drag things out in this way that's very amorphous and they don't seem to know where it's going. But everything here is very crisp and moves very swiftly and I like that. Yeah, I suspect the Maya storyline for season one probably works really well as a binge story where you're Mm. not coming in week in, week out. And it feels like that story is going longer than it is. Yeah, it was a good introduction. Like I think it was a good season one storyline that you get super invested in her and you're following it and the twists and turns and you don't necessarily have to follow every single thing to know that they're setting the scene up for the kind of emotional journey of, of the characters and introducing them to us. So no, I thought that was well played, but I'm glad that that's over. Yeah, season one, I was never enthused to see Maya, but we mm. got to see a little bit of Maya this week. Not a whole lot, no. but when she was on, I was genuinely excited to see her. Like she's got a real pep to her now. Yeah, I feel like she's kind of got in a level of equilibrium and she seems a lot more stable. And I really like the friendship between her and Luca. I think they just, yeah, they have this real camaraderie and they've got each other's back. And um, Luca seems like the most comfortable when she's talking to Maya. And so I kind of like how they've forefronted the idea of friendship in the show and the centrality of friendship because I think in a lot of shows, especially with women, their romantic interests are just the key driving force of their life. And whereas, you know, this does have a, a really interesting romantic kind of relationship with Colin and Luca, it's not like the centre of their existence. It's just one part of it, like in the way that with male characters in books and literature, like it's not the purpose of their life. It's something that's part of their life, but there's also all these other things. So I kind of like the way the show's foregrounded that. Obviously, it's a vital part of their lives, but it's not everything. 
Yeah, there's the scene in the episode where Maya ends up saying, you know, you haven't even told me you're pregnant yet. And it's a nice moment between friends. But what I thought was kind of interesting thinking about that in the context of the good fight is female friendships on this show are usually formed over a glass or two of wine or many, many, many wines. And while there's certainly people have differing sort of opinions as to whether or not a pregnant woman should be drinking wine, like I think they say that a glass is generally good. I think that's currently where the thinking on it is, but you hear different things all the time and I'm certainly no expert in this field. However, <laughs> I would imagine that like their friendship is going to be largely formed in a fairly sober way. I wouldn't imagine you're going to see that many scenes with Luca and Maya out for drinks. I kind of like how also the friendship's at a stage where Maya can just come up to her and say, oh, be real with me, you know? And, yeah. and Luca does have that veneer of steel about her, but you see how fragile that is, that she's just really waiting for someone to crack it a bit. And I think Maya does that when she's like, hey, what up? You know, tell me what's going on. And and she does, you know, so she puts up this big fight, but I think she's such a softie underneath. And yeah, you saw that with her kind of going in guns blazing with her pregnancy and her worries about the pregnancy and feeling that she's under attack or her career is under attack. And Well, because it is. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, you're right. Look, maybe that's, I need to be real here and realise that this is how these prestigious and highly corporate environments operate. Yeah. But, but you know, she's very much like I need to protect myself and I need to go in guns blazing. And, and maybe sometimes in doing so she is blocking herself from the good or the support that people do want to offer her. Congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs> you look wonderful. Thank you. Uh, the birth date is scheduled for May 22nd. I'll be back at my desk on May 25th having missed only three work days none of which are in court. All medical appointments will be before 9 a.m. All at-home childcare is lined up. I'm not asking for, nor do I need any special allowances. I can and will continue my full workload. Yeah, but I mean, think about the fact that, because as far as the character goes, this is the first time she's really been working for a proper firm. Previously, she was a public defender. Mm -hmm. So she's found herself on this professional path now where she knows that she can make partner and actually really improve her life. Because you get the feeling that she's not a character that's come from money. Yeah. Like, I think she's a fairly middle class character who's just seeing an opportunity to mm -hmm. really take advantage of this. So I think for her, it's very important that she's able to manage the professional ability she has with this unexpected pregnancy that's happened. But at the same time, I think she's very realistic thinking, hey, look, this is a job where the expectation of someone who's on my career track right now should be putting in a massive number of hours. You don't just do not have the luxury of mm -hmm. taking any sick days. She even says like she's going to be back at work like three days later. Like she's got this completely mapped out because I think she knows the reality of this and you juxtapose that against the three partners who are looking at this pregnancy mm -hmm. and they know the expectation is that someone in Lucas' position is putting in the hours and this isn't just a 40-hour work week. This is, you know, above and beyond. Yeah, and it totally taps into, again, another really important topical modern theme, the idea of women and work and feeling like their career is going to be derailed if they have a family and how they can, why is this the constant juggle that women have to navigate on their own? You know, the fact that there's not a real structure to affirm and support 
um, the fullness of their lives and that this is just this constant battle of, you know, not wanting all your gains to be lost because of also wanting to have a life. And the challenge for women who are in this sort of high-end professional sphere yes, because yes, you need to definitely. put in so many hours mm. during like those years of which are when women generally start families and yep. do this. So you've got to put in those hours during those exact same years. And mm-hmm. if you're not putting in those hours, then you just fall behind for your entire career. 100%. And, you know, I hear this from my friends who are in corporate law firms. And, um, yeah, it just reaffirms to me how glad I am I, I didn't go down that path because it's a struggle and it's a stress and they're operating within institutions that are still very structured around male patterns, you know, and, and privilege and support men. And so it's that struggle between how to find that balance between being able to do their work, but also manage other aspects of their lives. And yeah, I think it's a really big struggle for people who are operating within that environment that is very hierarchical and that is very structured and that requires a lot of you and that does not make any concessions around that either. So no, really topical themes and really well kind of explored with Luca's storyline. And I know that you said that Luca's as an actress is the actress is actually pregnant and that's why this storyline was kind of inserted to work around that but it's been I think a good storyline nonetheless. Yeah I mean I think I even mentioned when that was first announced that she's pregnant on the show mm. that I actually like when shows have a curveball where suddenly a character <laughs> is pregnant because it actually means that the writers have to adapt the storyline and often pregnancies aren't necessarily entirely planned mm. so it's kind of good that shows actually have to reflect the real life challenges that come along with an unexpected life change like that. I love that like I wonder what that it's like because I imagine that like a show is not like any other form of art it's a kind of moving beast that requires you to re-edit and move along and change things and chop things and it's kind of like this ever-developing organism you know that has to like factor in so many different moving parts and it must be interesting to be a writer on a television show and, and working around all of that. I'm pregnant. Congratulations. I'm telling everyone now. Okay I'll throw you a shower. No. Please, don't. Too late. No, seriously, I hate showers. Well, this'll be a new hip one with a stripper. The episode starts with Adrian doing a live TV cross (laughs) on a cable TV news program. Yes. Have you ever done one? No, I haven't, but... Oh, there's just so much to stay here, isn't there? Okay, so I've done, I think, about two or three where I've been in a very similar situation to Adrian where, like, literally you go into a small room Mm -hmm. and what you saw here, I don't think people were now watching TV news programs or TV shows where you see someone cross in from another location. Mm. I don't think people understand the reality of it, which is that you would assume that someone of whom's on a remote location, let's say that you're the weather guy who's out there on the thing while, you know, weather's hitting you, you kind of expect that they're probably watching a screen with a presenter's talking to them and it's like a conversation. That's never the case. Like you literally have an earpiece in and you're staring directly down the lens of a camera and you're trying to present yourself while you're on screen while trying to hear through a very small earpiece as to what's happening. It's so weird. It's never great. And it's a terrible situation to be in. And so Adrian's doing it from a professional TV recording studio. You notice in there, and something which, unless you're in TV, you probably don't really consider that much either. These days, little studios like that rarely ever have like camera people around or sound technicians. You're literally just in a booth with a robot camera, which they do show briefly, you're heading out of shot at one moment, 
and you're just staring the, there, like listening in a little piece. The joys and, of cost cutting in television, right? Well, it is. And you feel really isolated and alone. And you usually leave those situations feeling you've done a terrible job. Mm. And it's just kind of awful. Um, and you see that with Adrian, like he's there, he clearly feels uncomfortable. And as soon as the 30 second segment comes to an end, like suddenly the lights kind of shut <laughs> off and he just has to shuffle out of the room. I love how they played this scene and how they always say great art or good writing. It's always about show and not tell. And they yeah. showed how discombobulating it is. And that mirrored the kind of experience he has with this newfound fame and also how discombobulating that is. But then they do that again. The next scene where you see him the next morning, mm-hmm. he's clearly been thinking about this and just feeling awful all night. Yeah. Because you can see, because he's not a guy who has his head down very often. Yeah. But when he leaves the elevator, I think he had a cap on, his head's looking at the ground and he's just trying to get through the office. And I think it's Marissa says to him first that, you know, it was a good segment. But he just kind of brushes it off because he doesn't want to think about that because in his mind, he just had a terrible experience doing it. I feel like that all the time. Like sometimes after a podcast, I'm like, oh, what did I say? What, what happened? What did I do? What did I say? And then I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that sounds okay, actually. Yeah, yeah, no. I don't know. It's a weird feeling sometimes when you're performing or in this kind of hypermanic media environment. And yeah, television, I've worked in television a bit. And I can imagine that it's a little bit of a, a strange experience for people who are not used to those kinds of scenes or that environment or how fast paced it is or the way it's structured and how confusing it is and how... Um, unpredictable you know like I don't think anyone really knows how something becomes viral or why it becomes viral or all those moments where someone says something that's off the cuff or unexpected or yeah like those really just is it just because of drama like we like to see drama and heated debate like it kind of shows the absurdity of all of these kind of overinflated egos talking crap on a panel it's the big head big heads play well on tv let me please let me finish ma'am excuse me I'm not a ma'am my apologies. I can't see you. <laughs> you know, I think like things go viral because they're unexpected. I think that people these days are so used to carefully choreographed and managed programs mm, and new segments yeah. that when something goes off the rails a little bit, that's when people suddenly get excited. Yeah, and when people just speak off the cuff or in a heated way or in an animated or passionate way, I think it resonates with people. Yeah, it's just so unexpected these days because people are just so careful. Now, I thought it was kind of interesting watching and we'll sort of jump ahead a little bit with the Adrian storyline. You see him do a couple of other live TV crosses. Now, the actual panel chat that's happening, it's clearly a parody of CNN Mm -hmm. and the panel chats they have there, even to the point where you've got that, like the main person that he's sort of sparring with. It's a guy who's meant to be an analogue of a former CNN contributor named Jeffrey Law. Right. who was pretty much the exact same guy that you saw <laughs> okay. happening there. Right. Now, there were two things that I really liked with this. And because I'm a media nerd, this is probably the bit that really sort of caught my attention generally. Mm-hmm. The scene where Adrian is in a uh, makeup chair and the, like the other younger African-American contributor, he comes in and like really points out saying, look, this is my role on the panel. You're here in this role respect my boundaries because this is how the game's played. Now, Adrian, he's not someone who plays the game. No. And this plays well into the other storylines happening with him, but he's not one that plays the game. So he ends up going out on there and he completely takes the role of the angry guy on the panel. Okay. I love how he just runs with it and plays with it. And it just affirms to me Adrian's status as just a total boss, this rogue. (laughs) Like this show was about Adrian and I loved it. Like I love how he, his power came through a lot more. You know how we were before saying that he just seems like a referee, you know, refereeing all these really interesting, powerful women. And then now you see Adrian kind of coming to the fore and this lion in the court and someone who is just 
on the panel like takes no prisoners and is really provocative and yeah he really resists and hates control that's something that I found really interesting he's a rebel and he doesn't like people telling him what to do or how he should be framed and I think that that is also kind of a metaphor for for the actual law firm itself like it sees itself in that way it's modeled on Adrian organizations usually the general vibe of the place is usually top down yeah yeah and this is definitely the case here so he doesn't like being pigeonholed so that young guy who comes in saying this is my role on the show to be the angry young hothead this is your role to be the seasoned sort of wise person wrong tack with Adrian don't tell him what to do so as soon as that happens he gets out there and he goes on the attack and comes out incredibly angry and ends up having a go at the faux Jeffrey Lord dude Mm. but then afterwards he comes off and he realises he's fallen into that traditional trap of being looking like he's the angry black man on Mm -hmm. there so Mm -hmm. the next time he comes on the show he goes completely against type again (laughs) and he does this in two ways one he gets really solemn and quiet and doesn't really want to engage on the panel doesn't (laughs) want to come across the angry uh, black guy but then as soon as he's more or less being goaded into doing that he then turns and takes his african-american status and turns it against the two white guys who are in control on that panel being the jeffrey lord guy and the host Yes. And he calls them on it saying, look, you guys clearly <laughs> want to use the word. Just say the word. Say uh, the word. And yes. they would not do it for obvious reasons. Yeah. If they say the word, that is just going to be replayed across media everywhere. Yes. And everyone on this panel are savvy media operators. Yeah. But the great thing is that the host of the show doesn't call him on the fact that he's been called out in his own racism because there's the sexiness of saying the N-word as opposed to the just grossness of what the word actually is. Say it, say it right now. <sighs> I will say it with you. Okay, this is hypocritical. You know we can't. Sure you can. This is America. Both of you. Say it. Mm. All right, I think we can move on. Why? Why move on when you want to say it? Both of you want to say it. Huh? So you got that happening. But then he just needs to try to find a position of strength. And so he attacks Adrian for calling out the Jeffrey Lord character for how much money he makes for appearing on the CNN or the the cable news program. And apparently that's that's the real big rule that he's broken, not like the provocative race stuff. It's like, don't touch our paychecks. No, that is is an unsaid rule because they never talk about the price they are paid to regularly be appearing on these things. But that is a similar dollar figure as some of them actually do receive. I can't believe it. Just for talking crap on a panel, that's the stink. They get trotted out a lot Mm. and bear in mind, like, these people come from very professional areas, but they're forced to really push aside a lot of their commercial interests in order to be that panellist. So the pay discrepancy, like, there's a reason it's that much, but it's still gross. Yeah, and they have to deal with a lot of, like, it's not an easy gig. Like, obviously, it's such a surreal world of odd responses and going viral and really political and very provocative and very testy. Like, God, those environments are incredibly, incredibly testy. I just love how contrarian he is. And that's something that I feel as well. It's like, oh, okay, well, now I'm in this environment and this is the dominant viewpoint. And I want to challenge that because it's problematic in X, Y, Z way, even if I agree with it. So yeah, like I love the way the show plays with how Adrian subverts the the kind of usual traps that minority voices kind of fall into when they're navigating the mainstream. And um, I just thought it was really well done and very adept. And I think that because he's so adept with words and he's such a fast thinker and he has this kind of sparring boxer kind of energy to him he's able to do that really well and it kind of reminds me of um I don't know, like when I when I read like say someone like Roxanne Gay's tweet and how she's just able to shut things down and say things at the right time in the right way to be able to kind of play with that and it requires a kind of agility that I'm highly impressed by and I wish I had you know I'm like that person who like will think of the great combat like 
days or hours later and I'm like, damn, I should have said it then instead of stewing over it. So, yeah, I like that. I like how, um, yeah, his, his power in just being able to navigate that and not fall into that and also play it on the people themselves. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it's a confidence game. Yeah. So I like the way that the storyline with him on the TV news actually feeds into his two other storylines as well, where we see through the TV news he doesn't like playing the game, but then he actually gets a very strong professional opportunity to take him and Diane and represent their law firm within what they call the Big Six. Yeah. So these are the Big Six law firms operating in Chicago, yeah. and they're all sitting there at the table to try to find a way they can deal with the issue that's happening around Chicago with all the lawyers dying and possibly being murdered. Mm. So they're there to represent there, but they don't really understand why they've been invited. And when it actually becomes apparent as to why they have been invited, which is that they represent a lot of police brutality cases. And one of the lawyers, who's the one that invites them into the group, he wants to shut those down because he's got his own commercial interests in place. So as soon as Adrian realizes that he's being used, he's not willing to like allow himself to be played and better the he standing of the firm, it. but rather he rebels against it entirely. Uh -huh. And he ends up calling the guy out on his commercial interests. When that happened, that was a lot of fun. But I think that the important information that they kind of just drop in just a little bit in the narrative was he makes a reference at one point saying that of all these big six firms, none of them were willing to hire him in the past. That was the line that killed it for me, Dan. I was, I was just literally thinking about that scene the whole show. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah, and I wanted to have a whole discussion about that. You know, sometimes you don't understand the emotional dynamic or those moments that drive people. That was a line that showed what, what drove him. And that's something that so many people who are minorities can empathise with when doors are shut in your face, you know, and he goes in and he says, oh, now suddenly I have a seat at this table and these are all the people who didn't hire me. And it, it's in contrast, to be honest, with Diane, who's like, oh, I remember this guy I worked with. Or I remember this guy who worked with. But there's a difference there as well where, I mean, there's an entire possibility that his race played a role in the difficulty that he's experienced professionally. Mm. But I think it actually speaks a bit more to his personality type yes. where he's certainly someone who will go out there and say what's on his mind. But you contrast that to the Diane character. And in fairness, both of them are probably coming from different perspectives of power and privilege. But Diane's someone who does play the game. Mm -hmm. She'll play very nice. She'll let her opinions be known when it's politically safe to do so. Mm -hmm. But by and large, she has always played the game professionally. And maybe that's also a difference in gender as well, that women often are more accommodationist or feel like they have to be less confronting in order to operate successfully within a dynamic. Yeah, you're right. There's a real difference between how they play it and how that affects their personality or maybe is informed by their personality. But um, what I really loved about that scene was it was saying, hey, it's okay to not be a part of that scene because Adrian and all that's good about him would have been completely diluted and completely destroyed by that environment. Like, why do you want to be like that? You know, and I love how it's his exclusion that gives him what is interesting about him, what fuels him, what makes his firm unique in the landscape, what makes it powerful and what maybe even fueled his decision to go down that path and just create his own law firm and his own environment and the control over that environment. Like I think that's something that a lot of minority artists and communities, that question they're facing that, you know, why do we need to engage in these structures that don't include us? Why not let's do our own thing? And that's something in itself that that is powerful and that can actually 
harness your talents and and is a place which is a lot more easier to operate from, you know, than constantly working to to chip away at something that doesn't serve you and will never serve you. Now, it's kind of interesting thinking about the idea of outsiders with the law case, which is maybe the case of the week in regards to Diana and Adrian are defending a Gorka-type website where I think it was called Peeper News. Mm. Pretty sure that's the name of it. Great name. Uh, so it's this guy named Dale Kuzman, who is kind of a stand-in for Gorka's editor-in-chief, Nick Denton. And what the storyline was showing is supposedly Peeper News had published the address of a up-and-coming young Nazi. Anyway, uh, the mother, like the owner of the house, which is his mother, house gets burnt down. And so she's trying to sue the website for publishing the address, which, you know, led to some protesters burning the house down. You've got that happening. But what you're playing here with here is Adrian defending someone of whom is an outsider. So if you look at what Gorka was as a news publication, this is something which was very much on the outside and playing the news as they saw it under their own rules. Now, I'm not the biggest fan of Gorka by any means. So I, we could probably spend about 15, 20 minutes talking about the Gorka. We could talk about the um, shutting down of Gorka as a result of Peter Thiel and the Hulk Hogan case. But the show itself doesn't really deal with that, rather just dealing with a Gorka-type website. And I think it's a very deliberate move that they're not really talking about the ethics of that website, purely because I think they actually want the case that Adrian was representing to be something of an outsider versus an established system. And I think that was really just there to echo everything else that was happening with Adrian's storyline. So I was a bit annoyed because the Gorka issue is something very dear to my heart. Okay. And right. I'm very keen to talk about it. But okay. that's not really what's at play here. Yeah. Um, it's the showmanship, isn't it? It's Adrian and his showmanship and he's playing to the jury. And absolutely. His, so, and, and this, this oddness of celebrity and the weird meta moment where the judge is like, so this is not TV, guys. <laughs> it's like, it. it is TV, guys. For the first moment in Adrian's <laughs> professional career, I suspect, he's suddenly like the guy in town that he's everyone is supportive of and mm. applauding for no reason at all. And he takes advantage of that. Yes. Now, he plays to, to his strengths. Like the things that were liabilities yeah. for him or historic liabilities, the show cleverly shows how those things can be strengths and those things should be harnessed. And Yeah, but it's hard to tell whether he's doing that out of a, just he's gotten a little bit tactical. cocky <laughs> or if it is actually tactical. Like you never quite yes. know how he's playing it. Yeah, look, I like Adrian's roguishness and rebellion precisely because I don't think it fits that male model of bullishness that is not amenable to suggestion or advice. Like he's actually a very thoughtful and considered person when it comes to taking on board what's around him and engaging in things thoughtfully, especially, you know, people who engage with him in good faith, you know. And so it's really only when he is put in unfair positions or people are attacking him or he's experiencing or coming up against that kind of racism that you see, you know, his his fight come out and, and it's the good fight, you know. <laughs> so I like fight. that. I like that. It's like, yeah, look, he, he's a good guy, but he won't stand up to crap and, and you know, he's He's a he's a big time lawyer and and his job is to take that down and and that's really great to see like I, I think that that's something that you want to harness more that you know there are things that are just bad you know like Nazis are just bad and um, there is nothing wrong about just absolutely furiously shutting that down and there's no moral ambiguity there there's no balance there's no yeah I like how that they they showed that. Yeah. Now, really briefly, I just want to talk about some of the casting in this episode because there's a few fun little moments in here. So Dale Kuzman, who's the editor-in-chief of Peeper News, the guy there, I was staring at him for the entire episode and I could not 
connect my brain to who this guy was because he looked so familiar. Uh, so oh, that's I hate that moment when you're watching shows and you're like, I know this guy. Yeah. I know this person and from I like some place. I feel place. like you're going to know him as well in a moment. <laughs> so the actor, his name is Wayne Wilcox, and he's probably best known to TV audiences playing a character called Marty in The Gilmore Girls. So if people oh, remember, yeah, you know, I'm a you just you just knew I was a GG fan. Yeah, you? I suspected. <laughs> so if people remember when the Rory character goes to university for the first time, she's there at college, and there's a guy who's got a bit of a thing for her, and she sees oh, him as like a really good friend, the nerdy guy. Yeah, yes, Marty. yes, that's Marty. Yeah. Ah. Oh. Ah. Yeah, so anyway. So, that, like, how long did you wait before you Googled it or did you figure it out off your own bat? Uh, I, like, started Googling it about three quarters of the way that, through the episode. That's when you actually feel like you've kind of lost a battle of, like, you didn't remember it. Oh, no, own. I couldn't pick it. Like, I was staring at him. I knew I knew him. I just could not really connect it. He looks exactly the same. But he's got a bit of, like, facial scruff in this one. So I think it threw it a little bit. And I last like, time I, I like remember him. seeing Marty was naked in that show, whereas, you know, here he's wearing a proper suit. <laughs> I don't even remember that. That was, God, you have a really like photographic television memory. Oh, you know, it's the important things in life. (laughs) The casting of the judge was Matt Walsh, uh, former Upright Citizens Brigade member. Uh, People have seen him most recently in Veep playing Mike, who's the communications director for the former vice president. Very funny comedian. And it was great seeing him here in a very specifically buttoned down role. I thought that was great. Uh, making a return appearance, he had B.B. Newirth, who uh, people know as Lilith from Cheers, uh, but she's been in a whole bunch of things and she was in The Good Wife a bunch of times as the same judge. So Oh, I had that moment when I was yeah. watching The Good Wife the other day. Yeah. I saw Doug Stamper. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's Doug. That's Doug. What's Doug doing? And he was a totally different character. And I was like, oh, wow. Doug Stamper is his character from House of Cards? Yeah. You yeah. know, the nefarious kind of... Um, I don't know. What's his role? Yeah. Uh, the actor's name is... Body I guy? think he's pronounced like Jelko Ivanek. Bad dude. Person who does all bad things. He always plays usually lawyers or like shady like fixers. Yeah. He's got that He's got that kind of shady character yeah. going down pat. I really love him. I think he's great. Yeah, he's great. Also a returning role here. We've got the lawyer who was representing... Oh, yes. I love her. Yeah. I love her. Uh, so the actress is Gressa Lee and she's playing a lawyer named Amber Wood Lutz. So we actually saw this character once in the first season of The Good Fight, and that was another Adrian Censored storyline. So it was kind of nice to see the two of them facing off again. She was doing the entertainment law stuff. That's exactly it. Yeah, she's ruthless. I love her. (laughs) I love how she's unapologetically ruthless. Uh, And the other casting I really liked was seeing Evan Handler in it. And Evan Handler was the guy who was part of the big six firm and he was the one that really started having a grand old time when the lawyer got called out for his business interests. <laughs> yeah, they were just, they were having a field day with yeah. that. Uh, people would know Evan Handler probably from Californications, probably his biggest thing. He spent some time in the West Wing. Uh, he was in a great sitcom, great sitcom. I liked it. It's not that good a show. Uh, called It's Like You Know, which was one of the former Seinfeld writers doing a show in LA. They really hop around, don't they? They do. But yeah, yeah Evan Handler's always great in whatever he's in. So really great to see him there. This probably actually brings us to the end of the podcast, mm-hmm. I think. Already? Oh. I know. It comes, it comes and goes so, so quickly. so fun. I get my coffee going. I'm just getting started. Oh, I just need to just stay here. <laughs> 
Don't forget, The Good Fight is airing every Wednesday night on SBS. You can find it at usually about 9.40pm. If you missed the episodes, it's all there on SBS On Demand. You can go back, you can watch the episodes from the beginning of Season 2. Season 1 just left the service, but there is a streaming service in Australia where you can access that, so you can do that if you want. But Season 2 is all there and will be there for a while Get into it, guys. You're missing out if you're not into this. Absolutely. Mm. It's a lot of fun. I can't imagine people listening to this if they haven't been watching the show. Yeah. If you've just jumped in today, like you just thought, oh, Sarah and Dan, that duo, I need to see what they're doing. And <laughs> but, you haven't. You need to watch. charisma it so much. I know. No, yeah. some people that are into season two, but they haven't watched season one yet. So get into it because that will help flesh out stuff for you. Yeah. And it's the show. You don't actually really need to have watched season one to get it. Oh, no, you don't. But it's good. I yeah. think you should. Now, Sarah, you're on Twitter. Where do people find you for good fight-related conversation? Um, I'm at, at Sarah B. Malik. Um, so, yeah, hit me up and let's continue the conversation online. People can find me at the Dan Barrett. If you enjoy talking about the show, just use the hashtag there, Good Fight SBS. It helps mm-hmm. people track the conversation. If you're enjoying this podcast, you might like some of the other SBS podcasts we're doing. Uh, there's a great pop culture, really TV and film is what we focus on. It's called The Playlist. So our good friends Fiona Williams and Nick Bassine, they interview a veritable who's who of people doing the publicity rounds. There's lots of really sort of interesting people you wouldn't expect to here on there. Uh, they had the Robert and Michelle King from The Good Fight. Uh, Ooh, they were on there last are you year. Serious? So backtrack and maybe find that one. Yeah. If that you have right. yeah, if you haven't gotten tired of my voice, you can hear it every week where we talk about the 1960s Batman TV show. Uh, it's called Batman Land, and we talk about the issues on this one. We talk about ridiculous nonsense on that one. But anyway, it's a lot of fun. People should give that one a bit of a look. But anyway, this is the Good Fight SBS fan podcast. That name, it just grows on me every week. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah, you're not flinching and making that weird eye movement anymore, so <laughs> it's growing. <laughs> My fist isn't clenching as I say it out loud. We'll be back next week for more. Until then, keep fighting the good fight. Bye. This podcast and its contents are not endorsed or sponsored by CBS Studios Incorporated or The Good Fight.